Last week we focused on volcanoes, the fire gods themselves. We looked at the types of volcanoes, the hazards and even some events associated with volcanoes. But volcanoes have warnings, they rumble, they gas, they can warn and have telltale signs. But what about a tectonic hazard that has no significant warning? One that can strike at any time on any plate boundary, without warning. Welcome to Earthquakes, Planet Earth's ticking time bomb. I don't know why, but I always associate earthquakes as the lesser of two evils when it comes to tectonic hazards, and I shouldn't. I think it's because we can see the apocalyptic setting of a volcanic eruption, with dark skies and lightning strikes, the rushing of lava and the horror. But earthquakes are deadlier, they kill more people, they cause more damage. They can strike at night or during the day, in a busy metropolis or a paradise island. The worst volcanic eruption in recent history? The 1985 eruption of the Nevado del Ruiz in Colombia. That claimed the lives of 23,000 people in the area. The worst earthquake in recent history? 2010 Haitian Island. 316,000 people perished due to one earthquake. Go back slightly further to 2004, to the Indian Ocean Sumatra earthquake. That claimed the lives of 227,898 people. This figure is deemed to be a lot higher due to people being missing in the area. I'll go back to that main question. Which tectonic hazard is worse? I always think it's volcanoes. Perhaps I need to change my mind. By definition, an earthquake is the shaking of the Earth's crust from a sudden release of energy in the Earth's lithosphere or crust that creates seismic waves. It is usually the snapping or cracking of the Earth's rocks, and earthquakes can range in sizes from small tremors to extreme shakes. We measure earthquakes on something called the Richter scale using a piece of equipment called a seismometer. Now before we look at this Richter scale and how it measures earthquakes, there's a few little characteristics that we need to cover. Earthquakes have something called a focus. Now the focus of an earthquake is the point of where the rupture, the cracking of the rocks underground, takes place. Usually, you cannot see the focus, you have to dig down deep underground to get there. The next key characteristic is something called the epicentre. You might hear it on the news. This part of Prince was the epicenter of the Haitian earthquake because the epicenter is the point on the surface that is directly above the focus. And this is where the greatest force of the earthquake is felt. Now the force of the earthquake is felt due to something called a seismic wave, usually commonly known as a shock wave. Now, a seismic wave is just a release of energy that radiate, radiate out from the focus. Now, earthquakes are measured, as I've just explained, on something called the Richter scale. Now, the Richter scale dates back to 1938, and a gentleman called Charles Richter. He created a quantitative measure for earthquakes in which where you use a seismometer to measure the scale of an earthquake to find out the magnitude or the size of a shake. 
Now, a lot of us would have seen a seismometer in work before. It's that little pencil that sort of scribbles on a piece of paper in like a film when you see an earthquake or something shaking the ground. Now, the magnitude is then given, according to Charles, a value between 1 and 10. 1 being the least powerful earthquake, 10 being the most extreme. And because Charles designed it as being a logarithmic scale, each number is 10 times powerful than the last. So when we see on the news an earthquake measured a 6, it is 10 times more powerful than a measure of a 5. Meaning that an earthquake 8 is 100 times more powerful than a magnitude 6. So next time you're watching the news and you, you sort of see like a an earthquake begin um, magnitude 7 compared to say a 6, so just one strongest 10 times. Now the strongest quake ever recorded was a whopping 9.5 quake and this was in the 1960s in Chile. But some more recent noteworthy mentions are the 9.1 quake that I've mentioned before of the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami quake that happened under the Indian Ocean. And more recently, the 2011 Tohoku and Sendai earthquake. This was a this was a 9.1 also. These both created huge tsunamis that devastated coastal regions in that area. Now, as mentioned before, volcanoes show some telltale signs of erupting. But when we look at earthquakes, can we predict them? Is it actually physically possible? Well, there are forecasting techniques that can be used to help reduce the damage in certain areas. But they're not quite as accurate as a volcano. But what are these measures? How can we know if an earthquake is going to occur? Well, we can't actually predict earthquakes. We can only forecast them. One way is we can put laser beams and seismometers on plate boundaries, and these can detect small plate movements, which is a bit of a telltale sign to maybe a larger movement or a larger shift in the plates, creating an extreme earthquake. Now, the second way is we can have radon gas detectors. Now, radon gas only forms underneath the Earth's surface. So what happens if radon gas escapes from the cracks in the crust? This can indicate that the plate is moving and an earthquake is imminent. But what do we do with this information? Well, in Japan, they have an ingenious way of getting this information out to their population. Since 2007, all Japanese manufactured smartphones have been fitted with an early earthquake warning system. Basically, on their smartphones, doesn't matter if it's Apple, Sony, Samsung, Nokia, Motorola, and so on, they have this app that they cannot delete, a little bit like the Photos app or the Messages app on, on an iPhone. And what this does, if, it, if any information needs to be put out to the population, this app tells a no, little, little notification pops up on the phone, warning that an earthquake has occurred or is going to occur. So, for example, if you live in the coastal area and you get this notification, you might want to go to higher ground to escape the, the earthquake tsunami. If you're in a building, say if you're in the middle of Tokyo and you're in a, a high-rise building, it will be get to a structurally safe point within that building. It's usually a stairwell or underneath a, a given structure, maybe it's in the basement. 
but that's just an ingenious way that the Japanese population have, have helped secure their people from earthquakes. But why might some earthquakes be more damaging or deadly than others? What are the reasons and the facts and the factors that determine whether an earthquake was necessarily bad or not as bad as another? Now, you might have some ideas in your head. We looked at the Haitian earthquake of 2010. It killed 316,000 people. But it was only a magnitude 7. The Japanese earthquake of 2011 only killed 17,000 people. And that was a magnitude 9.1. So not necessarily the strength of the earthquake is important. What are the other factors? Now, clearly the magnitude of the earthquake will be important. A magnitude 3 earthquake is definitely not going to cause as much damage as a magnitude 9. But it's not necessarily the main factor in determining whether an earthquake is more damaging or deadly than others. There is a host of other factors. They can all play the same importance in one nation. They can all have an effect. They can all determine the damage of an earthquake. The depth of the focus, for example. How shallow the earthquake is. If the earthquake occurs shallow from the surface, if it occurs only a couple of kilometres down, then that earthquake is going to be severe. How long it lasts for? Earthquakes can last from a minute to a few minutes. And the longer that this earthquake's energy is released, the more damage on buildings and eventually deaths will occur. How densely populated the area is. You could have a magnitude 9 earthquake in the middle of the countryside and not feel it. The, the damage would be very, very small. You could have a magnitude 7 earthquake in a capital city and it could kill thousands, depending on where it is. The building design and construction. Japan and the USA have earthquake-proof buildings. The developing world, unfortunately, does not have this luxury. Similar with emergency response. Do they have adequate policing, fire, ambulance services in that area to help reduce the death and injury and overall damage? The GDP, the money of the affected area, can they bounce back well? Do they have good bounce back for the secondary effects? the effects that come after the primary ones. How prepared and educated the local people. In Japan they have smartphones with this information on. They have notifications if one's going to occur. They know where to be at the right time. The developing world unfortunately again doesn't have this luxury. The time of day of week it is. If it's a Sunday at lunchtime everyone's up and awake not at work possibly outside. But if it's in the middle of the night during the week they are people that are asleep in buildings and structures. This is the constant worry that these nations have on plate boundaries and, and um, located on player fault lines. Now, which factor do you think is the most important? Have a little think. Which factor is the most important? Which is the least important? Overall, I think it's the building design and construction and the emergency service response. You could have a magnitude 5 earthquake and it could cause catastrophic damage if your building quality is poor. But that's what I think. Earthquakes bring around two types of effects 
Now the first effect is the primary effect. Now the primary effect is the initial effects felt by the shake of the earth. So this could be uh, buildings getting destroyed or damaged or lives being lost as a direct result of the buildings collapsing. But they also bring around secondary effects. Now the secondary effects can lead to a lot more deaths. It's things that happen hours, days, weeks after the initial quake. Tsunamis, for example, is a secondary effect of an earthquake and tend to kill a lot more people in the initial quake. Disease spreading through the streets as a result of camps and emergency shelters getting set up. Crime, looting, violence. In streets of chaos, this can ensue. Killing, causing damage, causing loss of money to an extreme extent. Now, tsunamis are almost like separate to an earthquake, but they happen due to an earthquake. Now, a tsunami is a giant or a series of giant waves that send surges of water onto land. When a powerful undersea earthquake occurs at a plate boundary, the sea floor at the boundary either rises or falls suddenly. This displaces a lot of water above it, sending rolling waves that build into tsunamis. Now tsunamis, usually in open water, don't even get above one metre, which is really bizarre. So a fisherman or someone out in deep ocean can, can actually experience a tsunami and not even realise it's going underneath the boat. It's not that, um, it's not that high, it's usually a metre. But what is the problem with tsunamis is when it comes closer and as the land gets shallower, the waves start to bunch up and the tsunami waves start to slow down, the wavelength drops, but actually the wave height increases quite dramatically. Some waves and tsunamis can reach up to 30 metres tall. Now just imagine that, 30 metres of wall of water coming towards you at the coastline. None more is infamous than the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami, which devastated the region around the Indian Ocean. Tsunamis are caused by earthquakes, and they are deadly. Thank you for listening to That Jog Pod with me, Mr. Darby. We now have an Instagram account called That Jog Pod. Please drop us a follow, a show support, find out about new episodes, and to leave any comments about previous episodes. Next week on That Jog Pod, we go to the Caribbean island of Haiti, the Voodoo Nation, and how on January the 12th, 2010, it was shook to its foundations in one of the most deadly, destructive, and defining earthquakes to strike the developing world. It has since changed the lives of millions of Haitians, even today in 2021. Haiti still hasn't fully recovered. Find out the full story next week on That Jog Pod.